Well, if you have your Bible, could you turn with me to Psalm 23? And just before we read uh, this amazing passage of Scripture, I want to pray for us as we begin our sermon today. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us by it, Lord. Would you open our hearts to understand what it is you're saying to us, to each of us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And this is what it says in Psalm 23 in the NIV. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's been given to us in love. And so if you have your Bible open, or if you don't, open it to Psalm 23 and leave it there, because I'm going to be referring to it now and again. You see, King David, who was once a shepherd himself, wrote Psalm 23 around a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. And, and since its authorship, Psalm 23 has become far and away the most loved psalm of all, and for good reason. What David gave his readers was an inspired picture of how God acts towards people, of how God shows his love for his people. So today, and throughout the summer, my hope for you is that God would show you something about this psalm that you haven't noticed before. But for now, I want you to take a look here at two observations. And really, it's the two points for my sermon. The first is this, the Lord as shepherd. And the second point is the Lord as host. In Psalm 23, David gives us two word pictures that capture how God acts toward people. And right away, in verse 1, we can see the Lord is my shepherd. And later in verse 5, we can see the Lord who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, the Lord as a host. And so what I want to do is take a look at these metaphors and what they mean for us. Why do, why do they matter? So the first one, the Lord as shepherd. In Scripture, constantly, we see God identifying himself as shepherd. And, it's, and it is supposed to be a special description. It's supposed to be something that communicates his incredible, careful, providing love for us. But I'm not sure that nowadays it has the same effect that it, that it was meant to. I want, I want you to think about this, really. Think about what David is saying about God. For God, the creator of everything that you know, everything in the known universe, and everything else that we have yet to discover, for God, the perfect beginning behind all that is good and beautiful and true, for that God, 
to express his nature. And this way is humble. And it's, it should be surprisingly undemanding. And it ought to leave a deep impression on me and on you. I mean, if you've ever worked with animals, you know that by using the image of a shepherd, David is pointing to God's willingness to get down on one knee and to get in the dirt and the mud and the guck of our lives and to care for us like nobody else can. You see, God is identifying himself as a shepherd. And in a way, this is an invitation to us to follow him for us, his sheep, to follow him so that we might rest safely under his care. You know, David, who wrote this, was not a perfect man. Uh, he was a flawed person. He was running after extramarital affairs. He was caught up in envy. He was actively practicing deception. He wasn't perfect, but David knew a lot about shepherding. He knew what it meant to care for sheep. He was a shepherd for many years, and he knew what it meant to have to protect the sheep from people who were thieving them or from predators. David knew what it meant to try and guide these incredibly stupid animals into pasture. David knew what it meant to have to go after a flock and to go find the one sheep that got lost on the way. And so I don't imagine it was a difficult thing for David to recognize how God was loving him. I don't think it was a hard thing for David to recognize God's shepherd love for him in his own journey. That's why Bruce Waltke, who's a professor at Regent for many years, some of you may know, um, he wrote this about Psalm 23. He said, Psalm 23 is a poem of trust. It's celebrating God's goodness and loving kindness. What's Psalm 23 about? Did you catch that? Psalm 23 is celebrating God's goodness. That sounds simple, but I think Dr. Walkie is onto something here. So let me try saying it another way. Psalm 23, at its heart, is not about you and me. It's not about the journey that the sheep goes on, but instead, it's about the love of the shepherd. You see, when you and I read this psalm and we bring it to mind and we think about it and we hear it on TV or we hear it in different areas of our lives, we ought to see it celebrating the shepherd, the shepherd's competence, the shepherd's strength. We ought to see it celebrating the shepherd and not the sheep or the sheep's efforts. Psalm 23 is about how fantastic a shepherd God really is, not how lovely a sheep is you or I may be. Um, but I, I, do, I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying. It is good for you and I to see ourselves in Psalm 23, to see ourselves in it. But when we read this and when we know it, we ought to see ourselves as the rescued ones, the ones who are cared for. In Psalm 23, we are the sheep who experience the amazing shepherd. So Psalm 23 is not about the effort of the sheep, but about the competence of the shepherd. This competent shepherd is worthy of the trust of the sheep, and he's worthy of following even into the darkest valleys. You know, in verse 4, David makes it clear where he finds his confidence in the midst of trouble, in the midst of difficult times. Where does he find his, 
his confidence, namely in the intimate presence of God. In the dark valley, David says, I fear no evil for you are with me. And so David teaches us the first thing about the shepherd and about faith, really. He demonstrates why a believer doesn't have to fear the darkest valley, the evil that he encounters, or the inevitable loneliness that we all face. But why is David saying this? Why doesn't the believer need to fear? Is it because of how strong the believer is? Is it because of this believer's ability to follow the shepherd so well? Why is the sheep able to walk in the darkest valley and fear no evil? Is it because of any measure of competence that he has? No, not at all. It is because of the active, working, and intimate presence of God, the shepherd. It's because of the voice which the sheep follow. It's because of God's presence. God's presence is there with him. It's because you are with me. You are with me. And the images of the shepherd's rod and staff reaffirm God's comfort for us in the midst of trouble, God's care for us, in that God is able to keep me close. God's able to protect me from harm. When I think about this, it sounds so much like Jesus. You know, when I was thinking and I read this, this verse came to mind in John 16, 33, where Jesus is giving full disclosure on what we face as we follow him in this life. Jesus doesn't promise us that we're just going to live a quiet life without adversity. And you probably know that. But he, he actually promises the opposite. This is what he says in verse uh, 33 of chapter 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. If you follow me in this world, you will have trouble. He never promised that you and I would live a life with minimal trouble. He's not a God who promises only health and only wealth. In point of fact, God has shown us that we will have trouble. But that he's with us in it. He's with us in it. I was, um, I was speaking with a friend recently who um, recently lost his wife. And um, I was just trying to hear and, and listen to him. And he said, this, he said this thing that really stuck with me. He said, you know, John, God never promised us a life without trouble. But you know what he did promise? He promised that he would be with us in it. And that's really what David's talking about. It's, it's the same hope that David is celebrating. It's hope that comes from a deep trust in God that is nurtured by him being with us, by his life-giving presence. When God is with me, then it doesn't matter how dark it gets. And this is the invitation of Psalm 23, that the trustworthy shepherd is worth following because even in the darkest valley, he's going to be with me. So to the one who trusts, be encouraged. He is with you and he will comfort you. I think when some of us hear that, uh, the kind of trust in God seems hard to access. It's hard to say that I could have that trust in God. Maybe it for other people, that might be easy, that, that having a personal trust in God that is nurtured by his life-changing presence, for some of us, that seems like a faraway idea. 
Maybe when you hear me talk like this, wherever you are, you say, yeah, man, that sounds like a, that sounds like a nice thing. And I'm sure that it's helpful for some people, but it doesn't seem all that practical. You know, sure, I have faith, but it's not like that. It's not, it's not trust in God nurtured by his presence. It's, it's less important to me than that. Uh, I believe in God, sure, and, and that's it, and that's enough for me. Um, some of you may think that some people want to, want to have a deep trust in God like that, and that's good for them, but it's not for you. Maybe you wish that you could believe in God like that, and you've tried, but you just can't seem to develop a faith like what David's talking about. And if that's you, I get it. I have been there. And, and having a faith like that is not actually the real problem. The real problem that we face is not that we can't believe in God like other people do. We can't have trust in God like other people do. It's actually that we're refusing to doubt ourselves. See, when you, when you are refusing to doubt yourself, you are demonstrating a commitment to a belief in your own competence to run your own life. And this is actually what dark valleys do in our lives. This is what adversity does to the person who is following God, that eventually we find ourselves in a place where the incompetencies of our life are, are glaring, and we can only see them. And if that's where you are, I got to say, it might not feel like it right now, but if you admit what you know to be true deep down, if you can admit that really you're not competent enough to run your own life, then, just like the sheep in Psalm 23, you'll begin to move toward faith in God. Psalm 23 was never about the ability or the effort of the sheep. It was always about the competence and the care of the shepherd. The same shepherd that walked and walked with and guided David all his life is the same shepherd that leads those who love God today. Can I make an observation about the valley of the shadow of death? This might seem obvious to you, but I, I didn't notice it at first. Let me show you what I mean. As I was studying uh, this psalm, I made the simple observation on my notes that verse 4 comes after verse 3. But I want you to think about that, that he leads me on right paths comes before the dark valley. I think what David is trying to help us understand is that the dark valley, with all the grief, with all the second guessing of ourselves, all the, the adversity that we face, is as truly one of his right paths as the green pastures are. Do you hear that? When we understand this, when we trust the Good Shepherd, when we, when we trust that he has us on the right path, even it's, if it's in the dark valley or, or green pastures or otherwise, we are able to gain perspective, perspective that helps us in dark times, not our own, it's the shepherd's perspective. We're able to gain perspective in dark times and the suffering that we face begins to find meaning. When we remember that the shepherd is with us in the darkest valley, his life-changing life presence helps us overcome the worst thing that remains, which is our fear. 
that takes me to my second point, that the Lord is a host. You know, in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So I don't want us to simply just read past that uh, for familiarity's sake. So I want to read that again. I want you to really hear what David has written. It says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a line. The same God who is shepherd, who is present with you in the midst of adversity, is also the unflinching host who sets a fine banquet table before you in the presence of your enemies. I don't want you to miss how God is revealing himself. God is revealing himself as serving his people. That's how the shepherd leads, and that, that's how we should lead, as serving. Here in this second and, and honestly shocking picture, David describes God as hosting an extravagant dining experience in the presence of enemies. Wow! Man, how many of you listening to me have waited tables? Okay? Have you waited a table before? How many of you listening to me have hosted a dinner party? Listen, that is a picture of God. But not only hosting a table party, or not, not only hosting a dinner, but he's doing it on a battle pitch. <laughs> I don't imagine any of us have done that, okay? Some of you working Sunday at uh, Red Robin uh, might disagree. But... <laughs> When I think about this incredible image, my imagination takes me to uh, a, the pitched battlefield of Braveheart. And, and out there, in the center of it all, there's a fine laced table. And it's overflowing with every holiday favorite you can think of. There in the midst. Now, whether this is a picture of a feasting table set on a battlefield like this, like I'm describing, or not. The point of it, I believe, the psalmist is making, what he's trying to say to us, is that while evil makes ready for war, God's not concerned. He's not overcome by worry. Instead, he's totally unconcerned. And he's instead preparing a dinner feast. That is strength. That is strength. Think about that. It's strength of a different kind, though. And here again, we see the psalmist inviting us into a more practical and yet more majestic picture of God than we probably had before. It's a table where God invites you and I into strength and into rest. At that table, we fear no evil. And we enjoy his presence. We enjoy his provision. And there, our cup overflows with love and mercy. I hope you can see this. Can you see how Psalm 23 is, is such a faith builder? and gives us a picture of what's really going on. And it's a reminder to trust in the competent shepherd and the providing host. You see, the reason we love this poem so much is it's essentially an Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8 or 2 Corinthians 12, it promises us that even in the worst situation, the, the shepherd is leading you, and his grace is sufficient for you. 
You know, one scholar, Walter Brueggemann, said this about the psalm. That Psalm 23 shows us the sacred canopy, this covering under which the community of faith can live out its life with freedom from anxiety, a cure for anxiety. It reminds us that there is a givenness to be relied on, guaranteed by none other than God. And this is why it's such a joy to stay in the Psalms and to stew over them and study them and apply them to our hearts. As you do this, you begin to see God anew. You, be, you see God as, as a competent shepherd, as a, caring, as a caring host. As we do that, we see God that way. You know, for me, I, I want that more and more in my life, but unfortunately, I don't always see God that way. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're like me, or you're like the sheep, you get lost. You get lost on the way. You tend to lose sight of the shepherd. And it's in those times where instead of rejoicing in the Psalms, we, we actually we disbelieve them. When they say, I lack nothing, instead we think, no, I do lack. And I have a list of lack and a budget of how I'm trying to deal with that lack. We read, we read the psalm saying that he leads me, but instead we think that I can't hear God. I don't know where he is. Do you think God would lead me into this place in this moment? We read David saying he restores my soul, but we don't feel restored. We feel broken. We feel empty. David says, you're with me. You comfort me. But if we're honest, we lose sight of God, and I can't feel God. Maybe you hear preachers talk about their cup overflowing, but it seems to you like you don't have enough, that God's goodness and love will follow you, but instead, you're, you're not surrounded by goodness and love. You feel like you're surrounded by chaos and anxiety. Hey, that, that is real, and that's what it means to disbelieve these words. Look, it's not enough that God promises to be with you. I'll say that again. It's not enough that God promises to be with you. You, too, must choose to follow. You see, without a working knowledge of God's grace, without a regular experience of his love, this is what happens to us. We start to see these words and they feel far away. They don't feel true to us anymore. Like sheep, we get turned around. We forget which way is up. That's the wrong path. And maybe we start to head for a ravine and think the shepherd trying to save us is actually out to get us. But that's, God's not out to get us. <laughs> he is a loving shepherd and a caring host. Without an active relationship with God, we experience a great disorientation. God's not out to get us. He's there to help us. And we often forget who God is, that he's a competent shepherd and a caring host. But thank God that his grace has accounted for that. You know, the late Tim Keller often said this. He said, religion is the default mode of the human heart. Christians who know the gospel only in principle 
continually revert to religion. They believe the gospel at one level, but at deeper levels, we continue to operate as if we are saved by our works. They continue to base their standing with God and their view of themselves on their spiritual and moral performance. What does this do? This leads us to all sorts of anxiety, pride, inferiority, anger, and spiritual deadness. This might not surprise you, but Tim was right. Tim was right. Following Jesus is not about knowing the gospel in principle only. It's, it's way more personal than that. Following Jesus is less like following a map and more like following a guide. He's not a God of generalities. He's a God of specificity. He wants to know you. It's about knowing him and relying on his ability to see you through. Psalm 23 is about the competence and the care of the shepherd who will see you through if we're willing to leave it all behind, whatever's distracting us, if, you're, if your heart is disoriented. And by that, I mean you can feel yourself clinging to your worldly possessions. You can feel yourself clinging to the ability to run your own life. And I, honestly, I just want you to take a moment. Take a moment. Take a moment today, wherever you are listening to me, and ask yourself, am I really getting what I want? Is avoiding the shepherd's leading getting me where I want to be? Really? Old church theologian once said this about sin. He said, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Like a shepherd, like a host, do you trust that God wants your deepest happiness? Because if you did, you would follow. But it's true, God does want our deepest happiness, and he went to great lengths to show this to us. Later in the New Testament, in John 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says to them, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. Look, I don't, I don't think it's a wild idea that Jesus wanted us to see a connection here, that the same Lord who shepherds the sheep through the darkest valley is the very same Jesus Christ, that the same Lord who hosts a feast for me in the presence of my enemies is the one and very same Jesus Christ. And Jesus did this. On the cross, he gave his very life for us, that we might know for all time the depth of the love of God, that we would never doubt it that we could look to the cross and know. We could look to the cross and we'd say, where in all the world is God's love most vivid? What picture in all the world is God's love most vivid? On the cross. And there Jesus proves himself to be the ultimate comfort in life, the ultimate comfort in death. Jesus, just like the shepherd of Psalm 23, Jesus leads and cares for his people. The path that Jesus will shepherd you on is going to be filled with rolling green hills, security, plenty, and that same path that you will be led into 
It goes through the darkest valley as well. And even though the setting changes and things seem dynamic, Jesus will be constant. Jesus will be worthy of your trust. Jesus is the good shepherd and the caring host. Think of this more. Jesus is not only leading you now, but he will lead you to the end. He'll lead you to the end, where by his strength, by his provision, guiding you day by day, you will one day, just like the psalmist writes, you're going to open the door, you're going to see a table. It'll be prepared for you. And there, you won't know any lack. You'll know no fear. And it'll be made apparent to you that everything in your life, everything always was yours in Christ Jesus. But for now, we're asked to trust our shepherd. We're asked to trust his leading. Even though we can't see what's around the corner, we have to trust his leading. And this is how we cultivate that kind of trust, by praying and agreeing with the psalmist. So would you do that with me? These are, these are some statements that I, would, that I would pray myself, and I just wanted to share them with you today. Would you, would, you, would you pray these with me? I am rich, even though I have no money. I am strong, even though I fight this disease. I am joyful, even though I am surrounded by suffering. I have life, even though I will face death, because the Lord is my shepherd. And so those who live by faith can say, even though my situation may not be improved, my fear is removed because Jesus is my shepherd and because he is with me, because his rod and his staff comfort me. And I can trust him. Do you pray with me as we close today? Lord, if we fed on your love and your grace and your truth, we would not be in any want. In this life, we know uh, we may never attain that. But we also know that you are always with us. And someday you will lead us into our true country, into our true home, the home we've been looking for all our lives. And we will know our deepest happiness. So Lord, help us to rest in this. Help us to trust in you as you lead us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Bless you today.